Hello and welcome to Herbert Smith Freehills Japan Arbitration Podcast. My name is Joel Halliday and I'm an associate in our arbitration practice based in Tokyo. This is the third podcast in our series looking at recent developments in international arbitration. And today we're going to focus on the impact that COVID-19 has had on arbitration over the last year and what we can expect to change or stay the same in 2021. I'm joined by David Gilmore, head of our disputes practice in Japan and disputes of counsel James Olsop, who've kindly agreed to share their insights. If we start then with the immediate impact that COVID had on arbitration, James, how significant was this? Thanks, Joel. I think in some ways, arbitration practice was quite well prepared for the restrictions that followed COVID. Because of the international nature of these disputes, new technologies had already been increasingly adopted in recent years. For example, electronic document storage and filing, as well as electronic trial bundles were already an option. And it was fairly common for case management conferences to be run remotely by telephone rather than having everybody meet in person. So in this way, arbitration was probably less affected than domestic court litigation. I think the biggest impact that we've seen has been in relation to substantive hearings. Because before COVID, they were almost always held in person. But obviously this became very difficult, if not impossible. So tribunals and parties had to decide whether to proceed with virtual hearings or indeed with hybrid hearings. So for example, I had a hearing at the HKAC last month where two of the three members of the tribunal attended in person, one joined virtually from Singapore and the council teams were split down the middle between those in person and those from different locations around the world. Yes, and it was interesting to see very early on in the pandemic, a group of the main arbitral institutions issued a joint statement which encouraged parties and tribunals to work together to allow disputes to progress and be resolved rather than putting things on hold. As you say, for disputes that were coming up to substantive hearings, this would mean holding the hearings virtually or semi-virtually. And we've seen quite a few new technologies and platforms to enable this. David, perhaps with the benefit of hindsight now, what do you see as the advantages and the drawbacks of holding hearings virtually? Well, as it's played out, I think the key advantage has been that they've allowed the parties to carry on and actually have their disputes resolved. It's been about a year now, and it's still not clear when international travel will open up again to the same degree. So wouldn't it have been practical for most companies simply to put their disputes, their arbitrations, on hold indefinitely. But I think we have seen other benefits too. There's obviously a cost saving on travel and accommodation and the flexibility of virtual platforms has tended to mean that it's easier for more client representatives to join and in effect participate in a hearing without the need themselves to travel. In terms of drawbacks, I think there is a perception that advocacy and witness testimony may not be as effective by video link as it can be in person. But I think that in reality, we have all been um, somewhat surprised at how well virtual hearings have worked. A big part of that is down to the technology. And so being prepared is important. Making sure you've done test runs to check internet speeds, cameras, microphones, and so on. Another challenge with virtual hearings is dealing with different time zones. You might have clients and witnesses, and for that matter, tribunal members spread right across the globe, which means there has to be some need for some flexibility in sitting times late at nights or even at weekends. 
Thanks, David. As you alluded to there, organising hearings requires a certain amount of cooperation between the parties, particularly to arrange the logistics, and virtual hearings have some unique requirements. James, what happens if one party says that they're not happy to proceed with a virtual hearing and they want to wait until it can be held in person? Well, ultimately, that's a decision that the tribunal and the case will need to decide. In doing so, they'll have to have regard to the law of the seat of the arbitration, the institutional rules in play, and importantly, any due process implications of not holding the hearing in person, which could create grounds for challenging the award later. That said, I think it's probably fair to say that the chances of a successful challenge on this basis may be low, as virtual hearings are still able to provide parties with equal opportunities to present their cases. In looking forward, one way of avoiding this type of disagreement in the future is for parties to agree wording in a procedural order at the start of an arbitration to expressly give the tribunal the power to decide whether any hearings will be held physically or virtually by some hybrid method. You mentioned planning at the start of a dispute for the possibility of a virtual hearing. Obviously, disputes that are starting now may not have a final hearing until after 2021. David, what do you think we can expect in the future? Is this the end of physical hearings or are virtual hearings just a temporary fix until international travel opens again? Well, I I think it's probably um, a little bit of both. I certainly don't think that this is the end of physical merits hearings. There is value, for example, in being in the same room as a witness when cross-examining them. And I think that many tribunals find that helpful as well, particularly in cases where there is directly conflicting witness evidence. There is now increased awareness of virtual options, and I think that these will still be used in a post-COVID world Um, more so than before, particularly given the attractiveness of reducing the time and costs of the travel. Uh, One change we've already seen, which I think is here to stay, is that procedural hearings that typically used to be held by telephone conference are now much more often held by video conference instead. Uh, That may well continue into the future as people see the benefits of uh, face-to-face interaction. And in the medium term, As different jurisdictions relax or increase travel restrictions at different rates, I think we'll continue to see a lot of hybrid or semi-virtual merits. Hearings, as James recently experienced, where some people may be able to meet in person, for example, a group in Tokyo and another group in Hong Kong, and the physical meetings will be joined to each other virtually. The good thing about this technology is it can be adapted relatively easily and quickly, which is essential really when circumstances in any given jurisdiction can, as we see, change at very short notice. Thank you, David, and thank you, James. It sounds like the flexibility of virtual and semi-virtual hearings is going to be important for quite some time, including after COVID restrictions are relaxed. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you to everyone listening. If you have any questions about the podcast or international arbitration generally, please don't hesitate to contact any one of us.